When each of my four children were young, from time to time, I would be summoned to their room with a shriek, Dad! And invariably, they would tell me what I already knew as I walked in the room. I'm afraid, they would say. And the culprits were usually the dark, a noise, an invisible cougar, a dream, some snake I couldn't see. And my counsel was always the same. It's okay. There's nothing to be afraid of. It's okay. I'm here. I'd hug them and tell them everything was going to be fine, and what they needed just then was sleep. Children's fears are much more simpler. They're much simpler. As you grow, your fears grow with you and they become complex. While we can lay aside childish fears, it is easy to be shackled to our adult fears. These fears can attach themselves to us and weigh us down and dominate our thoughts. And we can become handcuffed to fearful questions like, Will I ever get married? Will I be fired? Is my son ever going to return to the Lord? Will I always be lonely? What if I'm always this sick? What if I lose my husband? What if my marriage doesn't get any better? What's next? Will I always be tired? And it feels like there's no one you can call to and just say, hey, I'm afraid. That's the way things feel. But what we need to remember, friends, is that our feelings often lie. Today, Isaiah is going to remind us, he's actually going to do much more than that. He's going to forcefully interrupt this fearful stream of questions, and he's going to show us that we do not need to be shackled to fear anymore. And he's going to tell us why. He's not going to tell us there's nothing to be afraid of. There is. There always is, and there's always more where that came from. Instead, he's going to show us that while there are many good reasons to be afraid, there's one reason not to. It's this. God is yours, and more importantly, you are his. God is yours, and more importantly, you are his. He protects and preserves and guards and defends you so you do not have to be afraid. I'm going to show you where I got that from. And if you have a Bible, look with me to Isaiah chapter 43. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 and go all the way down to verse 7. So follow along with me as I read. But now... Thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. 
I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would inform us today. But more than that, I pray that you would inspire us today. Holy Spirit, please get our attention. As we heard during our prayer, we are weak in many ways. We don't even know what to pray. But Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, that you would send your Spirit to be among us so that we might hear your word and not merely say, oh, that's interesting. But I pray, Lord, that you would grab our attention. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. God is yours. If you're a Christian, this doesn't stand for everybody. If you're following Jesus, and if you're a Christian, God is yours, and more importantly, you are his, and he pledges to protect, preserve, guard, and defend you. And you don't have to be afraid. There's two reasons we don't have to be afraid that we can see directly from Isaiah chapter 43. First, we do not have to be afraid because you are his. You are his. Now, one thing I should say before we jump into chapter 43 is you might wonder how I can presume to apply these promises to us when we are neither Jewish or in Israel. That's a good question. Because you can see in verse 1 that he's speaking to Jacob and Israel. The answer is in the New Testament. The best place the New Testament informs the Old for us. The best place to go is Romans chapter 4, where Paul says of Christians, this is why it, which is our salvation, depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, that's the Jews, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is father of us all. So Abraham is our father if we trust in Jesus and have, his, has the, have the faith Abraham has. So that's why we can apply these promises, because it's speaking to the people of God for all time. The promises made to the descendants of Abraham are ours as well. Now, if you are here last week, you'll notice this is quite a shift. The Lord just got, call, just got finished calling out the nation of Israel because they were blind. Remember this, verse 18 of 42, we hear this. Hear you deaf, and look you blind, that you may see. And then verse 20, he, speaking of the nation of Israel, sees many things but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. Remember, they had become blind and deaf as the idols that they served. Remember, you become what you worship. Idols have eyes and ears, but they cannot see or hear. And so the nation had become blind and deaf and would not listen to the word of the Lord. But the Lord would not, for his part, abandon them. Even in discipline, he is called the Lord who steadfastly loves his own. 
Isaiah hints at this in verse 1, where he calls the people, O Jacob. Now you'll remember, Jacob was not a shining example of integrity. He was a swindler and a deceiver, and he cheated his brother out of his birthright. And his descendants were just like him. But the Lord loved them and never abandoned them, even when they abandoned him. And the Lord, the ever-faithful Lord, moves close to comfort his people. He tells them not to fear. Why? Look at verse 2. I'm sorry, the second part of verse 1. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. He tells them, I have redeemed you. If you've been around church, you know redeem means to purchase. Alec Matir says this, Redeemer translates a word for next of kin, or like relationship, or, or close, re, close family, family relationship. The one who has the right to intervene, taking all the needs and troubles of his helpless relative on himself as though they were his own. God is telling the nation of Israel that he has taken their needs and troubles on as his own and that they do not have to be afraid. Now get this. It's not just that the Lord was generally aware of their troubles. He owned their troubles as his own. This is what redeemers continually do. Because we are united to Jesus Christ by his blood, he now owns our needs and his troubles and our troubles as his own. He treats our needs and troubles as if they were his needs and troubles. That's the redeemer we have. That's the kind of redeemer we have in Christ. Personalize this concept. If, when you walk in, what reason do you have to be afraid today? Not only does your Redeemer, Jesus Christ, know those things that chill you to the bone, that keep you up at night, that make your heart flutter, but in some respect, he takes those troubles and needs upon himself. He owns our troubles and our needs as his own. Why should we fear if this is the nature of our Redeemer? It gets more explicit in verse 2. Look there with me. If you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. If you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Is that right? Nope. Some of you are like, what? Look again, it's not if, but when. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When, not if, you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. We all have waters, rivers, fire to pass through. Every one of us here who follows Jesus, our path to the celestial city is through waters, rivers, and fire. 
The image of water and river comes directly from the Exodus account, the, the rescue that took them through the Red Sea and the Jordan River. They passed through both on dry land before they got to the Promised Land. Add fire to the mix, and what we have here is a picture painted that the faithful saint will go through a wide variety of trouble in this life. We're not commanded to fear not because these situations are not that bad or because they're not that big a deal. We will go through life situations that feel like we're stuck in the middle of a heaving ocean with no life jacket. We're going to feel like we're going to drown. We will go through other situations where we feel like we're being whisked down a raging river with no sense of direction or control and have no idea where we're going to end up. We will go through other situations that feel like we're in the middle of a white-hot furnace that threatens to reduce us to ashes, and we're not sure if we're going to make it out alive. But He, our Redeemer, makes our troubles and our needs His own. Therefore, He pledges to protect, guard, and preserve us through any and all trials. Let's be real and gritty here for just a moment. Christians are called to endure many ghastly hardships. Many. Many hardships that are way beyond our strength. In fact, any hardship worth talking about is beyond our strength to cope with. Why? Why is it that that's what we have to go through? Now, most of the time, we don't get the, the why answer, really, in Scripture. We don't have the Lord coming down and saying, let me tell you why you had to go through this. But part of the reason we go through trials is so that we can learn dependence on Him. This is the same idea when we overhear what Paul reports of his recent hardships to the church in Corinth. He says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that should be brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. I've been there, have you? Say what you want about the Bible, but it's not pretend. It doesn't put frosting over paper over hard things. Indeed, he says, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. You ever feel like death is just hanging over your shoulders? That's what this is. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See, when we don't have trials to endure, and things go smoothly, we fall into this trap of thinking, I don't need anything. I've got things under control. I don't really need God. I mean, he can help me out here and there. I mean, we're not going to be so crass as to say it that way. But the reality is, we never really have anything under control, and we have no idea what's just standing right around the corner. You don't, I don't, none of us do. 
our broken hearts in this broken world will always lull us into a false sense of control. And that sense of control is always wrong. It's always a lie. You and me, none of us are in control. None of us. If you think you're in control, or that you push and pull the levers of your life controlling all the things that really matter, you're deluded. Hardships press upon us, and the Lord allows these in part so that we can learn not to trust ourselves because what resources do we have by ourselves apart from Him? We have none. We learn as we experience these hardships to trust in Him. Your needs and your troubles are not a sign that God is far from you. Rather, they're a sign that God is with you. Your needs and troubles are not a sign that you lack faith. Sure, from time to time we do dumb things and we have to pay the price, but when troubles come upon us, not of our own making, that is not a sign of divine displeasure. They are a reminder of both of two facts. One, we live in a fallen world, and secondly, we can't do it on our own. Sometimes you're going to go through hardships that make you feel like you're going to die. And fear just comes in. It feels like it just invades every fiber of your being. And you think, I just can't do it. See, what we need to realize, Christians, is this. We must realize that what we feel is not always real. We must realize that our feelings do not, cannot dictate reality to us. Our feelings, we must not deputize our feelings with the authority and say, hey, you determine who I am. You determine how I'm going to feel. You determine my destiny. Feelings may be strong, but feelings and how we feel from one day to another, that's not who we are. It must not be who we are. We have to inform our feelings with truth. The truth is this. He is yours, and you are his. If you're a Christian, even though you feel like you have the sentence of death upon you, what you need to remember is part of this is so that you can recall to your mind that I cannot make it through this life alone, that I am in Christ. He is my life, and I need to make sure that I, that I recognize that I have to actively put my trust in Him because He is the only way we're going to make it through this life. We're not designed to just like wind up toys that He turns from the back and we just go. That's not how it works. We are, we are constantly, we must be constantly plugged in to the power source that is our Lord, and we cannot stray. We cannot stray, because without Him, we can do nothing. We do not have the inner resources to be able to face the trials that we face alone. We cannot face these ghastly trials, these trials that knock our feet out from under us, alone. 
One of the things trials do is it gets us to look away from ourselves. If we will, for just a moment, look away and remind ourselves of what's true. He, the Lord, is mine, and I am his. And he will not allow his redeemed to slip from his grasp. When the waters of unemployment and depression and anxiety and grief rise, 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 and and throw us about, he promises to protect us and be with us, whether we feel him there or not. Why? Because he is yours and you are his. When the rivers of cancer, dementia, the perils of caregiving, or arthritis whisk you down, rush upon you, and threatens to take you off to Lord knows where, he promises that will not overwhelm you. Why? Because he is yours and you are his. When the fires of loneliness and busyness and boredom and just the unknown burn bright and hot and threaten to consume you, he promises that you will not be burned. Why? Because he is yours and you are his. How do we know? We don't have to look back to the Exodus event for comfort, but we look to a greater and more transcendent day. It was the day that the Redeemer, the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, had great reason to fear. The one the Father delighted in and loved from eternity past, that one passed through these waters alone, through rivers that did overwhelm him. He walked through fire and was consumed. Why? It had to be. He determined, the Father, that He would exchange His Son, give His Son as ransom for us. The Son of Man, God the Son, went through these trials, this hardship, alone, so that you and I do not have to. See, We are his and he is ours. And death cannot even interrupt that bond. We do not need to be afraid. The rescue we're talking about at Calvary is our ultimate rescue. He will surely deliver us from a great many hardships in life. But there will come a day that will be our last day on earth. And when we go from this earth to the next world, we will be reminded more forcefully than ever that Christ and Christ alone is our life. Until then, we do not have to be afraid. God is yours, and more importantly, you are his. He protects, he preserves, he guards, he defends you so that you do not have to be afraid anymore. You are his, and he is yours. He's redeemed you. Secondly, we find out that he is with us, verses 5 to 7. In verses 5 to 7, we see the Lord calling out to all the points of the compass to bring his people in. The language is striking. He calls for his people and travels to the end of the earth, showing that there is no barrier that can stand between him and his chosen ones. They all come. Who? Everyone. Look at verse 7. 
everyone. Not one is left out. Just as he calls out the starry host by name, he calls his people to him. Verse 7. Everyone who, everyone who is called by my name. Notice it's not who calls on my name, but everyone who is called by my name. What does that mean? It means, friend, if you're a Christian, he has put his stamp of ownership on you. He owns you. When I was a little kid and got my Scooby-Doo or Star Wars lunchbox at the beginning of the year, is Star Wars more than Scooby-Doo, if you're wondering? <laughs> my mom would open the inside of that box and write my name on it. So that everybody knew that sweet Luke Skywalker lunchbox, that's not mine, that's Rich R's. I was la- it was labeled because it was mine. Those that are called by his name, that's you. If you're called by his name, that means that he has labeled you as his with his name. You are his. You are property of him. See, in that day, name was much more than a label. It means he stamped his identity upon us. Our past, our present, and our futures are now permanently associated with and identified with God. So, if we are identified with the Lord because of our Redeemer Jesus, and our life is now hidden in Christ, how secure are we as Christians this morning? If he's stamped his property of Yahweh on us. Who can wipe that away? Nobody. No one. We need to train ourselves here when we experience fear to look first not to ourselves and our own resources, but to Jesus and His. Where is Jesus? He's alive in heaven. What's he doing? He's enthroned, ruling above all things. What else is he doing? He's praying for us by name. What is Jesus afraid of today? It's a silly question, isn't it? Nothing. Not one thing. He has defeated every fearful thing. And we who are stamped by his name, we will one day be where he is. So what do we need to fear today? Nothing. And you might say, surely it's not as simple as that. It is that simple. It's just not that easy. It's hard. You know why it's hard? Because we naturally focus on fears and concerns. Our default setting is to muse on those things that are difficult. We wake up and fear jumps on us like a bandit. And it feels like we have no choice but to meditate and dwell and think about our problems and our needs. When we gain consciousness in the morning, it's like, boom, we're immersed in the waters of fear. And you hear things like, you're still alone and that's never going to change. 
Or your daughter still won't talk to you and that's never going to change. Or your hopelessness clamps down and you think that's never going to change. Or your aimlessness threatens to choke you out and you're saying that's never going to change. Or that your job sucks the life out of you and you say that's never going to change. Or your marriage seems to be perpetually in trouble and that's never going to change. Or at least that's what fear says. See, it's in moments like this where we need to forcibly shift our thinking. We need to remind ourselves that we are among those who are called by His name and that He is with us. That He has created us and formed us and He is not going to let our fears drown us or take us away. We need to remind ourselves that He has redeemed us and He is with us. He has taken an interest in the minutia of our lives. He has taken our troubles and needs as His own. And we don't have to hold them in. We can give them all to Him. And He will not let the fears of our life sweep us away. See, we must forcibly remind ourselves that we have a Savior. He has rescued us from death, and He can rescue us from fear. But do you know how He rescues us from fear? Not once, and then I will be fearless. It's about a hundred times a day as you cast your anxieties on Him as you give him your fears. He has rescued us from death, and he will rescue us from fear. But we must be the kind of people who cast our fears upon him. It's easy, it's natural to meditate and dwell on those things that frighten us. And I hope you see that from Isaiah chapter 40 and following, that while it might be natural to dwell on our fears, it's always unhelpful. It's much more helpful to dwell upon God and who He is. It takes training, it takes reorientation, it takes time, and it takes work, but we must turn our minds and our hearts away from dwelling upon our fears. That doesn't mean that we ignore them or pretend like they're not real. They're real. But when we dwell on our fears and meditate on our fears, soon we begin to believe that we're in this all by ourselves only. And then we've got no one to lean on. And that's not true. That's not true. We read in verse 5, Fear not, for I am with you. And he has drawn us to himself from every point of the compass. And we are, Christian, called by, stamped with his name. He is our God, and we are his. So we do not have to be afraid. You know what I have to do? I have to fight. I said it's simple, but it's not easy. I have to fight fear, and it's often a fight that I lose. Sometimes the fears in my mind or the worries or the anxieties getting in my mind get so loud that I have to go for a walk outside and talk to myself just to remind myself of what is true. It's just me out there with the brown canal water and the ducks. I'm out there by myself, and I'm saying to myself, what am I afraid of? And I name the fears. 
And I'll recall to my mind all the things that are, that are weighing me down and remind our, myself that I've got nothing. I've got no ability to fight this on my own. And I'll recall to my mind the blessings I have received from the Lord. You know how I can tell we live in a fallen world? I know how I can. I remember fears, regrets, disappointments so well, and blessings, huh, did those happen? They're gone like that. Goldfish, I hear, have memory of like two seconds. That's like how long my blessings hold on in my head. It's like I'm a goldfish when it comes to the blessings that I've received from God. Oh, yeah. People, somebody will say, remember when the Lord met you like this, this, and this? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, was that me? Oh, it was. Because I forget. But do I remember disappointments from nine years ago? What I was wearing? What the weather was like? That facial expression the other person has? Yeah, I do. Why? Because that's what my natural tendency to do is to think those things. Same thing with fear. Boy, I can describe my fears in depth. But can I describe my blessings in depth? That's where I need to work, and that's what I try to do. I go out to the canals, just me and the ducks, and I remind myself what I have in the Lord. I have a friend who will never leave me. I have a friend who has been with me through all kinds of trouble, and I've made it this far. I have a friend, Jesus, who died so that I can live. I have a friend who's given me his presence to dwell in me forever so that I will grow to hate sin more and more and experience power from on high. I have a friend who wants and works for my best. I have a friend who loves me no matter what. I have a friend who is pledged to protect me. I have a friend who says, I will be with you more. I will be more present in times of trouble. I have a friend who tells me that those things that are hard that I'm going through now, these are light and momentary afflictions compared to the future blessing that will be mine. I have a friend who takes me through trials so that I might grow stronger in trust in him. I have a friend who has stamped me with his name, no matter my failures, flaws, fears, foolishness, or weakness. And I can't wipe that stamp off. And you know what? I've got to do that every day to remind myself that I don't have to be afraid. He is is mine. And I am his. Friend, I don't think I'm the only one that needs to do that kind of thing. Do I do that every day? No. Should I? Yes. Do I know better? Yes. Does my wife sometimes have to say, go pray? Yes. Like I said, simple but not easy. So what are you facing? I don't know what you're facing, but I know you can't face it alone. God is yours. And more importantly, you are his. And he pledges to protect you, to preserve you, to guard you, to defend you, so that you do not have to be afraid. And let me just assure you, you do not have the resources to fight off this fear alone. 
Look away from the strength that you do not have and look to your Redeemer who has taken your troubles and needs on as his own. Look away from the troubles that press in so tight and see your Lord pressing in tighter. If there's one overriding message in Isaiah chapter 40 to where we came in Isaiah 43, it's this. You are not enough, but God always is. God is yours. You are his. You don't have to be afraid anymore. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for people who... You just feel locked in a cave of fear. I'm going to pray for you as we close. I'm going to also pray for anyone here who's not a Christian because all the things I just said do not apply to you if you do not follow Jesus. Anyone can follow Jesus. It's just a matter of wanting to follow him, trusting him, letting him take your fears and concerns because your biggest problems are not your fears, it's your sin. And Jesus, the Redeemer, has come and died so that you can give your sins and the punishment for your sins to him. And he can give you his blessings, the blessings of his life to you. Just like we sung about today in worship. I'm going to pray for those in trouble and those not saved. So join me as I pray. Lord, we confess our weakness Lord, we confess that there are so many different times that we are apt to feel our fear more than your presence. We're apt to feel and mull over and dwell and meditate on our fear more than on your promises. We're apt to dwell on those things that, that, that bother us or that weigh us down. Instead of your promise that we hear this morning emanating from Isaiah chapter 43, we don't need to be afraid. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for becoming our Redeemer so that we might be able to cast all our cares upon you, so that we might be able to give you freely all of our troubles and all of our needs, so that we might be able to give them to you. And you not, you're not going to say, that's dumb. You're going to say, now those are my troubles and my needs, and I will take them upon myself. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be a people who reorient our minds and hearts so that we stop looking inside for strength, because we do not have that. But we pray that we would be a people who perpetually look to you, knowing that you are the one who has strength. You are the one who has strength for us. We cannot, we cannot work up that kind of strength for ourselves. You're the one who calls out the stars night by night. You're the one who holds, who holds the, the, the waters in the hollow of your hand. You are the one who spoke and everything sprung into existence. You are the one with strength. We are the one with weakness. Lord, forgive us for pretending like we're strong when we're not. And so, Lord, may we, as we experience this fear, turn to you, look to you, trust in you, name our fear. But also, Lord, may we be a people who name our blessings. May we, be, may we have memories better than we do now for the blessings that we have in you. May our memories for blessings grow to be better than our memories for fear. <coughs> may we be a people who, who recall to mind the work of God done on our behalf. And so, Lord, I pray for everybody in this room 
who's dealing with something fearful and they see no way out. Lord, they know that they, they've heard the truth here preached, Lord, but information does not mean transformation. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would touch their hearts and their lives so that they might be able to trust in you, Lord. I pray that they would be able to cast their fears upon you, trusting that you would care for them. Pray also for anyone here who does not know you, Lord. I pray that they, they, you would help them to see that there is no hope aside from you, Jesus. And I ask, oh God, that you would encourage them to put their faith in you. I pray that they would look to Jesus and recognize they don't need to clean themselves up or become worthy. Instead, they just need to be willing to humble themselves and say, I can't do it anymore. I need you to forgive me. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to be a people who look for comfort in you instead of the internet, television, sports, leisure, different pastimes. May we enjoy those things, Lord, but may we look for comfort and solace for our souls in you. And Lord, may we not be afraid. I pray that as we feel the first pangs of fear, that we would be the kind of people that turn to you and ask for help. Knowing, knowing that you you are ours. We are yours. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.